Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Yeah, so we've, been, we've spent the last several Sundays together reading through the New Testament books of First and Second Thessalonians, which again are, are these two short letters that are written to the church at Thessalonica by Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now in my Bible, those two letters are only five pages. So it's a small section of the New Testament, right? But it's chock full of great stuff. How many of you have been like challenged and encouraged by the series so far? Ten of you, that's awesome. Then I'm glad we did this one. Um, Just joking. Uh, We have two left. We're going to do one today and one next week. But before we read chapter two of 2 Thessalonians, we started the book of 2 Thessalonians last Sunday. Before we we get to chapter two this morning and read it together, I thought we'd watch a a video together. I'm going to yield seven minutes of my time this morning to teach so that we can watch this video, and it's done by the Bible Project. And, and we're going to do this for two reasons. The first reason is these videos are great resources. The Bible Project does a little five to seven minute video for every book of the Bible, and, and they kind of sketch it out, and it's a survey or an overview of some of the general themes. And so this is going to help us this morning as we get into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, because 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is somewhat of a tricky passage where, you know, it doesn't talk about anything big, just the Antichrist and Jesus' return and all that stuff. Um, so I thought it would be helpful if we can watch this seven-minute video to frame some of the context and content for us before we jump in. That's a lot in seven minutes, huh? Every one of those videos is like that. It gives it kind of a, a brief overview and, uh, of some general themes. Okay, so as we get ready to read chapter 2, it's important to understand a couple things. The first thing I want us to be cognizant of is is that this letter wasn't written to us. It's definitely for us, but it wasn't written to us. And, And secondly, as we read this letter, we have to understand that we aren't privy to all the previous conversations and teachings that the writers of this letter... Paul, Silas, and Timothy, had had while they were with the Thessalonian church in person. And so this this book, and a lot of these epistles in the New Testament, it's like jumping in the middle of a conversation that's already happening. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gotten in, like people are having a conversation, you come in the middle and you're, you're trying to piece it together, but you don't, you're not privy to everything else that's been said, so you're trying to, it's like putting a puzzle together, but you're missing some pieces, but you're trying to get the general layout of the puzzle? Well, a lot of times that's what happens when we read these New Testament epistles. They're letters that were written to specific churches at specific times, and there was relationships involved and previous conversations and previous teaching, and, and, and they're a great benefit to us. But we also have to understand that we're, we're joining this conversation in the middle, right? And so we, we, we don't have the whole picture, even though what we do have is a gift. And I want to say this, it's okay for us to read the Bible and not have it all figured out. That does not make you a bad Christian. And hopefully it doesn't dissuade you from reading the Bible, because what we do have in these letters are a gift for sure, right? 
Um, you know, I learned something as a pastor a long time ago, that sometimes when, when pastors teach the Bible, it's best to acknowledge ignorance when we don't know what, what, it, what it means. And so with that said, I'm going to do my best today to shed some light on this passage, but I certainly don't have all the answers about the end times and the Antichrist, okay, as we get into this chapter. Uh, and, and honestly, I'll add this, I'd be leery of anyone who did claim to understand this passage with complete certainty. I'd be leery of that uh, for, for good reasons. Okay, so let's dig in. We're going to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's start out with the first two verses. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how will we, we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. And so we saw this reference in the video that somebody was, was claiming uh, to speak on, on Paul, Silas, and Timothy's behalf, and it was confusing these Thessalonian believers. And it's clear that the, the, the church in Thess Thessalonica was confused about some of what was previously taught concerning Jesus and the return, his return in the last days. First uh, Thessalonians mentions this topic as well. And so it, it's evident that these Christians in Thessalonica were experiencing a great deal of confusion, fear, and anxiety over this topic, which unfortunately isn't unique for Christians today either, right? And so Paul, Timothy, and Silas, they want to bring some perspective. They want to bring some clarity. They want to bring some peace to the matter. They don't want their friends in Thessalonica uh, to be jumpy, to be constantly fretting, uh, to, to be unsettled or shaken or afraid. And we know from the book of 1 Thessalonians that some of these Christians, because of their confusion and their fear and anxiety, they were quitting their jobs because they were so on edge. They're like, hey, if Jesus is coming back, we, we got we to gotta, we gotta be focused. We got to be ready for this. And they're quitting their jobs. And, and you know, they're, they're so heavenly minded that they become no earthly good, right? They're just so detached. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I read in the Bible about people being confused, uh, I find it encouraging because I get confused too. <laughs> and, and I find great hope in that. You know, there are times when the disciples who followed Jesus, they would hear Jesus teach, and they were so thoroughly confused that Jesus had to explain it to them a second time. And, and we see this here in the book of Thessalonians. Paul and Silas and Timothy have already taught on this topic, but they're confused. They write them a letter, but they're even more confused. And now they're writing a second letter. And so um, we're in good company today. If, if we ever read scripture and we say, hey, I just can't figure this out, you're, you're, in, you're in pretty good company. Um, so that's, that's good news as we set into these next, this next section here. Let's start, pick up in verse 3. And we're going to read all the way through verse 12. Don't be fooled by what they say, for the day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who will bring destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God in every object of worship. 
He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you all about this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Verse 9. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies and then they'll be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. And so here in this section, it's, a, it's loaded, right? In this section, we read about this man of lawlessness, this antichrist, uh, someone who is going to come on the scene after this great rebellion against God, and he's going to defile the temple. He's going to use miracles to deceive people. Um, he's currently being held back, but one day he's going to be revealed and set himself up to be worshipped as God. And when Jesus returns, Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth. And so we have all of this very mysterious, apocalyptic, figurative language, right? You know, when I was a kid, we had this Christian bookstore near my town, and I used to go there to buy my Christian rock cassette tapes. It was a long time ago. You know, my DeGarmo and Key and my Striper and all, all this, the music. Uh, I would, you have to go to the Christian bookstore to get that. And there was a shelf close by the cassette tape section cassette tapes. There's a shelf, and it was full of all of these books that were written on the end times, revealing who the Antichrist was and when he would be revealed. You know, back at that time, I think the, the, the running favorite theory was it was Pope John Paul II. And, and then, of course, later it was Saddam Hussein, and some thought Hitler. And there, Right? There's all these books that are written, which now you can find for, on the clearance for 99 cents in CBD or wherever you find those at garage sales. But uh, um, as a pastor, I, sh I should probably know who the Antichrist is when he'll be revealed. I don't have a clue <laughs> about that. But that being said, what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you something to make this passage that we just read, something to make it a little easier to understand. And so there is a New Testament scholar who I read often and listen to. His name is N.T. Wright. And when he teaches on this passage, he uses a metaphor that I find incredibly helpful, and it's the metaphor of a telescope. Now, if you, you, if you ever use a telescope, it has multiple lenses in it, right? And you dial those lenses in to see something far off. So, so just like a telescope uses a combination of different lenses that are dialed to see something far off, Paul, Timothy, and Silas here are looking into the far distant future but they're looking through the lens of historic events that are happening in their time or around their time. Does that make sense? And so, for instance, um, we know that there are several instances in Jewish history where historical figures 
acted out in the spirit of Antichrist. In other words, they did what this passage describes. They, they defiled the Jewish temple. They, they demanded worship. Um, one was Antiochus Epiphanes. In 167 BC, he marched into the Holy of Holies in the temple, and he sprinkled pig blood all over everything, which to a Jewish person, that is the abomination of desolation, right? You, you, that's an unclean animal to sprinkle it and splash it everywhere. Again, in 63 BC, the Roman general Pompey marched in, took control of Israel, and marched into the most holy place of the temple, defiled it. In 38 AD, and they mentioned this in the, vi the video, uh, Caligula ordered a statue of himself to be set up in the Jewish temple. He uh, was assassinated before he could build that project. But you can see all through history, there's been these figures, these historical figures who have defiled the temple, set themselves up to be worshipped. Um, the book of 1 John, chapter 2, in verse 18, it, it says that uh, many antichrists have already appeared. And so it's possible here that Paul uses these stories to inform a future event that the second coming of Christ and Jesus' victory over this man of lawlessness or the Antichrist, he's looking at the future event through these lenses that he's dialing in of all these historic stories to say, oh, this, this is what this is going to look like. And so there it is. That's the best I can offer on this section. You okay with that? If you leave here more confused than when you came in, that's okay. <laughs> Let's read this last bit of the chapter. Verse 13 through 17. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. A salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. He called you to salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. With these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you, both in person and by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us by his grace, gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. And so they close this part of the letter, this part where it's brought lots of confusion and fear and anxiety and misunderstanding. They close this part of the letter with an exhortation. And they say two things. Stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you. See, Paul, Timothy, and Silas they didn't want the Thessalonian Christians to, to be fearful or unsettled by Jesus' return. They wanted them to be comforted by the fact that God is in control of all these events and it's going to work out in the end. And so they encouraged them, don't be swayed by anything you see or hear that causes you to, to be alarmed and shaken. They're, they're encouraging them, remain confident in God and in his goodness. And, and as the video mentioned, Paul, Silas, and Timothy aren't going into this topic to try to provide um, a timeline 
to you know, gratify curiosity or to, to ignite speculation. They're motivated in writing this letter by pastoral purpose. That they are concerned uh, about these folks in this church who are confused and stressed and anxious and they're quitting their jobs. And, he, and they want to encourage those who are fearful. They want to slow down those who are over-enthusiastic and they're, they're speculating what would unfold because they're getting way ahead of themselves, right? And, and this is a great reminder for Christians today, right? Because just like the Thessalonian church, it's easy to get hyper-focused on the end times, and that can lead to a lot of fear and anxiety. Um, last year, around this time, I, I um, was approached by a music supervisor. I write music, and I was approached by a music supervisor who found one of my songs and wanted to put it in their movie. And it was a movie about the end times, like a really scary one. You know, kind of like the Left Behind series, but their own kind of take on it. And um, he reached out to me and said, I'm going to send you a promo video. We're looking for a couple more songs, and this movie's almost ready to go. But we need you to, like, we're going to get this song. We need you to sign off on it in a week. And so he sent me the promo video, and I was already feeling kind of like, oh, what is this? What is this going to be? And the promo video had this teenage girl coming out of the theater because they did a screen test. And an interviewer asked her, and she, you could tell she was shaken. Like, she, she was, like, you tell she'd been crying. And, and they asked her, what did you think of the movie? And they stick the microphone in her face, and she almost can't talk. And she's trembling, right? And she said, when the trumpet sounded and everything went dark and everyone started screaming really loud, and she just starts sobbing right there, and she can't even talk. And the assistant to the producer said, see, this movie is like impacting teenagers for Jesus. And I had to have a really difficult conversation because <laughs> I had to tell them, I don't think terrorizing people to Jesus is the best way to preach the good news. <laughs> because even if that girl does take a step towards Jesus, she's probably going to have a very dysfunctional relationship with him if she's afraid of his coming back, Right? Like, when I read scripture, what I find is that, that we should be ready for Jesus to come back, but we should be anticipating, looking forward to it, not being terrified by it, right? I have a, a friend, his name is Dale, and he, he grew up in a church context that every week they talked about the second coming of Jesus, and, and to the point where, it, where there was some really bad theology where, you know, Things were said that like, if, if you're sinning when Jesus comes back, you're going to get left behind. You're going to be in trouble. So you better not watch anything. If you're watching something inappropriate and Jesus comes back, whoo, I don't want to be you. If you're listening to music that's kind of, I don't know, it's just not Christian enough, you better look out because you're going to get left behind. If you're saying something or doing something or thinking something when Jesus comes back and you, it's not good, oh, you're in for it. And so my friend Dale grew up in, in that context and it was it was highlighted all the time, and, and um, when he was 13 or 14 years old, he um, was walking home from school, and his mom was always, always there when he got home from school, every day of his life, except for that day. And he walked in the house, and he couldn't find her, and sheer panic hit him. Oh, my God, Jesus has come back. I wasn't a good Christian today when he came back, and at, my parents are gone and in, in, in terror, he ran down the street crying and yelling for his mom. Of course, you can imagine what happens. The neighbors come out. What, Dale, what's going on? And he's like, 
my mom's not here. The rapture happened. Jesus came. I le- I'm left behind. We're all, we're all in, in trouble. And, of course, his mom pulls in. She was late <laughs> getting groceries. And, and not only is he traumatized by this, but he just feels like a fool, right? Because the whole neighborhood, he's, he, he's making a scene. And now everyone thinks he, he, he's, he's a fool, and, and he told me, I had to go through a series of like deconstructing some theology that was having me live in fear and terror my whole life because that is not what the, the scripture says about Jesus. And I had to like fix some of that. And, and I, I share those stories to say this, that First and Second Thessalonians, these little letters, just five pages in my Bible, are such a gift. Because when we read them and we read about this confusion, this fear and anxiety, we see this pastoral response by Paul, Timothy, and Silas that speaks directly to it, that that Jesus doesn't want us to be freaked out and fearful of his return. Uh, He wants us to be ready and anticipate his coming, uh, not be terrorized by it. And and unfortunately, there's there's a lot of theology out there concerning the second coming of Christ, and I just believe that it needs to be measured up to, to, to the teaching here in Scripture to these two books, because the teachings in these two letters are pastoral, they're comforting, they're encouraging, they're strengthening. And I want to just read again the last two verses of this chapter, because they sum it up so well, these last two verses. Let's, let's read these together. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, the last two of the chapter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, And by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful, what? Hope. Comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. They're not saying, run for the hills. It's going to get bad. I hope you make it. (laughs) Right? They're saying, no, no, no. You have eternal comfort and hope in Jesus, and it's a wonderful hope. It's a wonderful hope. Um, and that's how God wants us to approach this. That's how God wants us to approach these letters. And so anytime you hear theology that is doing the opposite of what you read right here, be careful. Because it'll end up leading you to a very dysfunctional relationship with God. Where you're, where, you know, the Bible talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. But it's about awe, respect, and reverence. It's not about terror. I mean, that would just make eternity a complete horror show. Or just constantly running away from God and Jesus because they've got bad things that they're going to do. Right? So can I just say a prayer for us? And, um, boy, one chapter left. Abby's going to teach that next week. And then we're done, First and Second Thessalonians. We go into our Lenten series. Um, but let's pray. Let's pray. And maybe the worship team can come, come up too. And we'll get ready to sing a song together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these two books, First and Second Thessalonians, which we've been walking through for several weeks now. Um, they're such a gift. And even though we're, we're joining a conversation midway, there's so much that we can glean about you and, and, and about Jesus and about his return and about how we're to live our lives. And, and God, I pray today for all my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe there's some here who, who have been wrapped in so much terror 
thinking about the end times and the last days. And I pray, God, that the words that Paul, Timothy, and Silas shared with the Thessalonian church to bring them comfort, strength, and hope would, would penetrate our hearts and lives today. God, that you would dismantle any, any wrong thinking we have about those times and the end days and your coming, and that we would grow into a place where we can anticipate and be prepared and be ready for it with, with joy, knowing that, that heaven is going to merge with earth, that your kingdom is going to be established forever and ever. And so, Lord, we, we come vulnerably before you. We open our hearts to you. And, and um, with all of any confusion that we have, any fear and anxiety we have, we offer to you. And we say, God, just, just, just fix us. Whatever's broken inside of our heads and hearts, just fix us. We, we want to line up our, our belief and faith to, to Scripture and, and, and what, what your word says. And so, Lord, we can only come before you and ask you to do what you do best. Just reveal yourself to us. And God, we give you all the praise and the glory for what you're doing in our lives and what you're yet to do. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church of the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church of the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.org.